Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. This is a special edition episode, thanks to South by Southwest. So exciting. This programming was to happen in Austin, Texas, but we get to make it happen for you remotely. Thanks to Squadcast. Thank you, Squadcast, for making it possible to interview the extraordinary Arlen Hamilton. And here's the episode. A woman named Susan Kimberlin, who's an angel investor, handed me my first investment. And she told me, make something of this. I didn't do any party. I was just like, it is on. This is what I've been preparing for. Let's go. My name is Spree Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi. I'm Jam. I'm a product manager for a startup called Grocery, and I'm based here in Manila, Philippines. So I'm fairly new to the Facebook community, but I've been listening to the podcast for a few months now. And yeah, I've been working in tech for four years. And when I think of what's gotten me through the day-to-day challenges that I've faced, a huge chunk of the credit goes to having a small group of women that I'm close to. Basically, people who I can confide in and they provide me with the support and advice that I need. And so for me, the podcast and the community are just extended versions of that. Women from all over the globe coming together and genuinely wanting other women to succeed. And to me, that's very, very inspiring. And it's become a source of reassurance for me that I do deserve to be in the room and a source of information of what I can do to build that same sort of culture of support in the companies that I work for and the communities that I'm a part of. To connect with me, you can follow me on Instagram at jampilarka or my email is jam.pilarka at gmail.com. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. Command Line Heroes is an original, highly produced, award-winning podcast about the people who transform technology from the command line up, presented by Red Hat. And this is not a technical show. This is a show anyone can enjoy, featuring experts from across the industry. Season four is airing now, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and stick around to the end of the show to hear a sneak preview of the brand new season. So this is a little bit of a unique personal spot. It's more like... If you would like to be a spotlit on one of our upcoming episodes, please reach out to me on social at Esprit Devora. Let me know. We would love to just hear what it is that 
you know, draws you into the podcast and makes you want to listen again and again and share with our community where they can find you and know more about what you're up to. So just shoot me a message on social anywhere at Esprit Devora and I'll send you the details. That would be really, really exciting to, to hear from you. All right. Enjoy the next episode. Bye. Before we get started, later in this episode, Arlen shares that she has a community number where she sends personalized text messages to the community to subscribe to her special community number. Make sure to text 832-210-1276, my first name, E-S-P-R-E-E, so she knows you discovered her via the podcast. We'll also include it in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So, so excited about this episode. First of all, you guys, I'm going to admit I am feeling very, very, very nervous. And so rarely do I get nervous. But I have someone who embodies what this podcast stands for. Arlen Hamilton. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? So good. I feel just blessed right now. So fortunate. Everything about you is an inspiration. For people who don't know you, you're about to be blown away. Let's start off with the basics and then get into all the good stuff. I can't stop with this big, huge smile on my face. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, Arlen Hamilton. I am the founder and managing partner of a boutique venture fund that invests in underrepresented founders. I live in Los Angeles. I'm from Texas. I'm very black and very gay. <laughs> and you're coming <laughs> out with a book. Yeah, my new book is It's About Damn Time. So you can check it out at itsaboutdamntime.com. I'm super excited about it. It's my first published book, and it is uh, a labor of love and something that I've uh, wanted to do for a very long time. And I feel very fortunate to be able to share it now. I love it. And I am so grateful that I am currently reading an advanced copy of the book and it has already exceeded my expectations. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. I literally feel like it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I'm addicted. I can't, I can't do anything else for the rest of the day. And so I'm excited to get back to reading it after, after this interview. So Arlen, yeah, of course. So we'll jump into it. You have an incredible story on how you created Backstage Capital. In reading your book, the thing that reminded me is one of my mom gave me one of my favorite pieces of advice. She said, every no is one step closer to a yes. And I feel like you invented your yes. (laughs) You took all the no's and you're like, and now I'm going to go invent my yes. Can you bring us through the story that I got to read about in your book on on how you got started? I know this is something you've probably shared many times, but just to give everybody context. Sure. Yeah, I'm 39 now and around 30, 31, I started understanding more and more about what startups were like tech startups. I've been living in Texas, but I lived a lot of different states and cities kind of bounced around and was broke and same old, same old. But I, I started understanding what it was just from different things like different companies that I would use or hear about actually, not even use, like Airbnb and Warby Parker, these different things I would learn about. And I had always felt like an entrepreneur. I felt like a, someone that was starting things. And although they hadn't really worked out, I had loved 
the journey of them. And when I learned what startups were and what that whole world was in Silicon Valley and all of that, I really did feel like I had found my tribe and the people that I was sort of separated at birth from. And it was very exciting. So I wanted to dive back in. I said, this is it. This is what I should be doing. Let me start a company. And I had been on the road prior to this. I had worked my way up for the previous 10 years in, in live music production. So I had been working on those types of shows, but I was off the road. So I started researching because I wanted to know all of the players, all of the rules, the guidelines, the best practices so that I would know at least what I was walking into. And as I started to research and understand it, something very stunning occurred. You know, something occurred to me and, and I, I, I saw, which was that more than 90% of venture funding, which is the funding that goes into innovative, is supposed to be this innovative capital, and so daring was going, 90% of it was going to straight white men. And this was data that was collected and it was fact. And I thought, how crazy is that? That's so wacky. You know, how my friend groups had always been varied. And so I had a ton of friends from all different backgrounds. And I said, there's not one of them that is any less or more worthy of capital for their company than the next. Why is that happening? And so that led me on this path and this journey of exploration. And what I soon came to realize was that my destiny and my calling was going to be about something bigger than myself. And it was going to be about how do I get myself, but how do I get others who look like me, who feel the same way into these rooms? How do I get that equality for us in these rooms? Because it's going to be really important, especially in a few years. So that's, I set out on this journey and I just said, well, I have no money. I'm in debt. I'm in my early 30s. I know what I'll do. I'll start a venture capital fund. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it started. And what I love right at the start of your book, and it was a good reminder for me, you were sleeping in airports, you know, trying to figure out how to make ends meet day after day. And every day you kept telling yourself, I am a venture capitalist. Yeah. Like, how? Um, I I, I rarely try to compare myself to Beyonce, but I will now. Beyonce talks about how she has to put on a bit of an invisible cape and uh, give herself another name, another persona to even be able to step on stage and do what she does. She doesn't feel like that's really her, all her, right? Totally. Sasha Fierce, right? Sasha Fierce. And so... That's really what it was. It's like you can think of it in many ways. Some people think of it as like the secret or uh, some people think about it as like uh, vision boards or any of that that type of thing. It really is just about kind of stepping towards your destiny. And I don't mean that. I tr- I hope that doesn't come across as like, you know, trite. I really mean it. It's like you come to a point in your life and you realize, oh, OK, there's only a certain number of years that we get in this life, depending on what you believe in. There's only a certain number of years you get in this body, and I want to do something meaningful with it. And I was coming from such a different place, you know, I was coming from literally a different state that I had never been around these techie people before, had never been around from Texas. And also I had been around rich people because I had been around musicians who were rich, but they were like my bosses and they were on stage and they were like a million miles away in our lives. 
in this case, I was going to have to go face to face with these millionaires and billionaires and really sell them on my vision of something that didn't exist in that moment. And so in order to do that, and I still do this to this day in a different way, but in order to do that, I had to step towards and into what I was going to be. And I had to become it in that moment and then kind of take it with me, take that armor with me, be it. And then afterwards, I could let it go a little bit and and come back and say, okay, ooh, that was tough (laughs) or ooh, that went well. And one characteristic about you that I admire, I don't have the courage to be it, at least I don't think, but you are positively polarizing. So you're not polarizing in a controversial way. I feel like you're polarizing in a way that moves humanity forward, which is what we need. But it's a very brave thing to do to lead with vulnerability. Have you always been polarizing or is that a skill that you cultivated? I don't think it's a skill because it's not something that I'm trying to do. Um, I just, it's part of my personality to be honest because I feel like there's a lot of logic that goes through everything that I do. Even if I'm being wacky or if it's, uh, if it's out there, it starts, the core of it is logic. And I am almost, um, obsessively so. Like it has to make sense to me or I can't do it. So my thing is like, I'm not going to be able to remember what lie I told you. <laughs> I have to I have to believe it so deeply and know it so deeply and so that starts with what the truth is. So you start with the truth and then I think about and this has evolved over time not not so much a skill but it has evolved with age and with experience which is the part about learning more and more not to care what random people think about you aesthetically or decisions you make and things like that, as long as you're doing no harm. And so when I think about it from that perspective, there's really no incentive for me to lie. So I'm transparent. On the flip side and the more positive side, I have seen in two different lifetimes, one being in my 20s when I had a blog called Your Daily Lesbian Moment that had thousands of readers. And then the second being this wave at Backstage and with the fund, I have seen the impact it has to speak so truthfully of your own, uh, of yourself and of your own journey and how you can immediately impact and reach people, whether they get to be themselves in their everyday lives or not. Internally, when they're having that inner monologue and sometimes reaching out to me, many of them are being affected by it and seeing themselves reflected or at least having the courage to be themselves and be happier with themselves and more excited about who they are. So to me, it's like you get addicted to that kind of like impact. I completely believe in being a vulnerable leader. That is something I push myself to do that's not easy, but you take it a really meaningful step further is if you see something It doesn't sit well with you. It could be a statistic about something that you just know is inaccurate or just anything. It just seems like you're not afraid of the backlash or controversy or any resistance. Are you afraid? Do you feel ever afraid? (laughs) I don't feel afraid of it. Not of that. Uh, Just in general. Do you have like when do you get nervous? When do I get scared? Yeah. Nervous? 
Well, yeah. I used to have incredible stage fright. I talk about that in the book. I used to have just a ridiculous stage fright. Ridiculous meaning, you know, it was okay. A lot of people have it, but right. it was just stunning stage fright. And I start, worked on that. Um, again, I'm trying not to like talk in like, you know, embroidered pillows or anything, but it, I'm more afraid of the things I don't do that I, that I wanted to do than the things that I do and that they don't work out. I mean, so many things I've done have not worked out and they were, uh, I, I'm, I'm like, wrong about it or I am embarrassed by it because you know it was all landed on me and I'm still here and it's okay you know so I'm not I, I don't get scared of I get scared of things that are more just like about mortality and people's health and my family and and that sort of thing I don't get afraid of people thinking poorly of me or making fun of me I think it probably comes from being you know bullied as a child and kind of going through the paces of all that and then as an adult going through and being I, I used to let people treat me pretty poorly and just kind of like evolving from all of that there's such a bigger world out there than just the few people who like to to see you fall it's just such a bigger world I forgot who said it or what book I read it in but I've even heard like numbers as high as like 15 percent of what will be dissenting opinion of you if you do something bold. That's a lot of people. But like, that is what you kind of have to face if you're going to do something, as they say, audacious. If you're going to do something that makes people feel, like you said, you're nervous. You're not nervous because of me. You're nervous because you've watched for the last five years or four years all of the people that are affected by it, you know, it, it's just like this whole energy. And if I were timid or afraid of someone making fun of me, that wouldn't have happened. And it's just so worth it for it to have happened. I, th I think you're spot on. I mean, it's one of the reasons I don't have a YouTube channel. For some reason, I feel like I'm safer with an audio podcast. <laughs> um, but well. I'm afraid of the comments. I am. And I don't know how you have such incredible resilience to, to just, I don't I know. Mean, comments get me. I mean, it's not like I'm just walking around like, yeah, king of the, king of the hill here. I get a lot of vitriol online. Uh, I'm called racist quite often by people. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, because of oh, my wow. different initiatives. When I put out the uh, scholarship, for instance, for Oxford student, for a black Oxford student, to the very first scholarship for a black Oxford student to go full ride last year. I got so many people praising it. That was awesome. And then I got like dozens of messages. You're racist. There's no scholarship for white people. And it was just so crazy. But I get that. I get called fat a lot. I get called ugly a lot. People make fun of my teeth. People make fun of my hair. I don't care. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what these random people think. Also, I mean, I used to let one or two comments really get me, even if it was like in a sea of a hundred positive things. Let me think about how I, it really goes back to what I said before. It's like, there's so much positive. So if you think about what your wheelhouse is, if you think about anybody who's ever walked up to you and talked to you and said, hey, I love your podcast. That episode really meant a lot to me or yeah. that speech you gave meant a lot of that thing you wrote. It blows my mind every time I hear it. Yeah, when you hear yeah. that and you're like trying to reach that person, you're trying to reach that 100%. person at scale, at scale, even the people that will never be able to tell you how, how you help them because they're silent and they're they have much less of a voice than you even you do right now. 
it doesn't matter if you have these little these riffraff yeah. coming from the sides saying what they want to say. That's their job. I used to say, look, I feel like give out jobs because haters, their job is to to hate. So we don't want them to be on unemployment too. I mean, we have a lot. Of, we don't. They're we, like fine, great. You, I, I gave you more work today. Yeah. Great, fantastic. And here's another thing that I that I think I gave I you more work today. Can I just absorb that? I yeah, gave the hater more work. Today. Yes, it's hilarious. I to help them out. Here's oh the thing. Here's one thing you can think about when you think yeah. about those comments. If they're anonymous, first of all, then, then, then that's just bleh. Who are they? If, if you can see who they are, I cannot be offended by someone I don't respect. Mm. I realized that last year, like at 38, I was like, wow, that, that like took me somewhere, right? I cannot be offended by someone I don't respect. So the people who do come out of the woodwork to tell you what you're doing wrong or how you're doing this and that and the other, What's the source? What's the source? And then we can talk about it. You know, if the source is someone I've never met, you don't know me from Adam. What have you done? Or, and if you have done stuff, why do you have the time to sit and say this to me? Now, if there's someone who has given constructive criticism and they want to pull me to the side or they even want to call me out. I've done multiple phone calls like that. Well, people have said, you know, you posted this thing, you're supposed to be woke, but what you said was offensive to people with disabilities because you used the word lame or you did this or you did right. that. I'm going to have a conversation with those Something people. Something mind-expanding, yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. make me a better person. Great. Right. But yeah. if you're simply just anonymously typing with your thumbs on something that you spent time on, that you have talent and skill and a point of view... And they just decided they're going to say a few words to do whatever. They just don't have any power. They don't. I love this. I feel like you're helping so many people right now, including me. And and one thing I got a takeaway I'm getting even out of what you're saying is maybe like the hesitation to start a YouTube channel because afraid of the comments is really ego based. Because what I'm getting from what you're saying is you are so connected to your why that that's what's important, that that's what your energy goes to. And you said something else that I think is a really key thing and I'd like to to repeat it once more just to make sure everybody like truly hears it with you're a lot more afraid of not trying something not opening the door even if you get embarrassed at the end or or it doesn't work out than you are afraid of not doing it at all so you care more yeah. about creating the opportunity and just finding out than you know never finding out and I think that's it's just, it's wow. I, I want to get into how you got from Texas and where in Texas were you again? I grew up in Dallas and at the time I was in Houston area called Pearland. And how you got from Houston to Los Angeles. And at the beginning I was mentioning that you were sleeping in, in airports, but this isn't because you were a jet setting traveler. It's because you found a place to, to that you could like sleep yeah. for the night, right? Yeah, so the whole airport thing is something I definitely, especially because it feels like your your audience is very thoughtful. They often use that in in press and things. It's very true. I talk. It's the very first page of my book is what you're referring to. I talk yeah. about it. But you know, I don't want to ever make it seem like it was something something that people should emulate or like say is that's the ultimate hustle or anything like that. It was really dehumanizing. 
and terrible. And I, I will never be in that position again. And I feel sad for the person who was, the me that was, right? And it was the fact I didn't have any money. I was 34. I had gotten myself from Texas. I had gotten a one-way ticket to Silicon Valley because I was going to take this two-week uh, workshop about investing. And I had crowdsourced part of the money, but not all of it. And I got myself there and I said, if I can get myself there, I can I can talk my way into someone getting this finally after working on it for three years. And I ran out of money. I could only, you know, the, the two-week thing that we had catered lunches and that was my meal. That's what I had for the days. And after that, I didn't have anywhere to live. So I said, where is it safe and where is it indoors? Because I just didn't know if I could do the elements even in California. And I found the airport and I thought, okay, because the airport, I can pretend to myself, if not to others, I can at least pretend to myself and keep myself okay if I say, this is temporary. People do this if they have a lay long layover. I can do this. I did it for days and days and days and days and days at a time and stretches. I lived there. And so it was definitely motivating to get myself out of there. And I don't, I ever recommend it as something, especially here's one more thing. Last year, someone unfortunately thought it was a good idea to do this on purpose to get my attention. She ended up stalking me, literally, and oh I had gosh. to get security. <laughs> so don't do that. The things, the things not, that I fear you have already experienced. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not going to it's not going to impress me. It's going to worry me and concern me about your your abilities as a founder. Much rather you you do what you can with what you have and don't put yourself in dire straits to get attention. If you're in dire straits and you're and you're making it, you know, you have my utmost respect. But don't put yourself there because it's a it's a insult rather than what you think it is. Totally. But yeah, that's how I ended up there. And that's how I found my way to, to San Francisco and then to, to the Silicon Valley area. And then why did you switch from Silicon Valley and how did you end up with Backstage Capital in Los Angeles? And now Backstage Capital went from you not being able to raise a dollar for several years to having invested in over 130 companies at this point. And how large is your fund now? Yeah, so... I got to Silicon Valley in May 2015. There was a lot of in-between stuff, including going on another tour uh, with an artist named Janine, who who's amazing, a good friend of mine now. But in September 15th, 2015, a woman named Susan Kimberlin, who's an angel investor, handed me my first investment after knowing me for since May. And she told me, make something of this. And so I had spent some time in Los Angeles. I had lived there at some point in my 20s. Uh, Are you allowed to say how large the check was? Well, I am now. So the okay. first check was 25000 to invest in someone else. And then she immediately followed that a few days later with 25000 for operations. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about getting to L.A., but more important, yeah. how did it feel when you got that first check, someone that believed in your vision? Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to Women in Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Damn Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world 
blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up, and I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turn. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. In the world of modern technology, we open our laptops, scroll endlessly on our smartphones, send tons of data to the cloud, and we don't think twice about it. But have you ever wondered how we got to now with our personal devices? What it took were teams of engineers and programmers who had the vision and audacity to build new machines. I'm Saranya Barak. Join me for an incredible new season of the podcast and keep on coding. Season four is airing now. Subscribe to Command Line Heroes today, wherever you get your podcasts. How did it feel when you got that first check, someone that believed in your vision? Yeah, I talk about it in the book. I go into great detail about it. But generally what I felt like, believe it or not, I even through all of that, even through my whole life being poor and being broke and not knowing how long things were going to last. And even in those last few weeks being so concerned about what was going to happen next, I promise you, because I had prepared for so long for that moment, because I was all I wanted to do was make investments in these founders. All I did was like fist bump in the, you know, fish in the air, woo, in a parking lot that I had been using, like had been my kind of HQ. And I called a couple of people and I, and I got a plane ticket to L.A. because that's where I had been before. I honestly, I, I got like a, a cupcake from the uh, grocery store and I got some sushi from the grocery store and I celebrated by myself. And then I went to L.A. and, and I got like a co-working spot. I didn't do any party. I was just like, it is on. This is what I've been preparing for. <laughs> Let's <it>. go. <laughs> Let's <laughs> go. Who can? Who else can I tell so that that can be momentum? That's all it was about. And I remember it was in the early days of like DoorDash and stuff. I ordered a cupcake. I'm a big on cupcakes. <laughs> Once I was in L.A., I ordered a cupcake, one cupcake from DoorDash that yeah. someone had to hand deliver to me. Right. It cost like six ninety nine delivery. I was so concerned about that. I ashamed myself. I spent six ninety nine on DoorDash delivery, and like I did that to celebrate, like being out of poverty and and making my first investment. And then, like a few weeks later, I learned about this guy who had bought himself an apartment with a jacuzzi in it and and transferred a million dollars to himself with in order the money to he raised yeah. to celebrate. I was like, you know what, I learned. <laughs> is okay. Have your cupcake and you eat it too. Yes. And what flavor was it? It was salted caramel from Yummy. Sprinkles, which they can sponsor me if they like to, because I eat so much salted caramel cupcakes from Sprinkles is not even funny. So yum. I'm a red velvet kind of girl. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of thing about like types of cupcakes to, to the personality or something. There's gotta be. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Okay, so you create Backstage Capital and how much did you say is in your fund now? 
Well, it's been over several funds, uh, kind of each year we have a new fund. So, but the total that I've raised between investment capital that we've deployed and operating capital and also have earned in sponsorships is somewhere around $12 million in the last four and a half years. Amazing. And I wanted to ask one quick question before we continue to dive further in that. When you raised the initial money, how did you decide how much would go to sustaining you and just being able to survive? Was that a difficult decision to make or did someone make it for you? What did that look no. like? No, it wasn't difficult at all. We had a very specific bucket of capital that was part of our GP, like my GP, which is the general partnership. I took this very seriously. I still do. This is other people's money that I am legally bound to do right by. And I have no, I'm, I'm just really a big stickler on just doing the best I can there, even though I didn't have a lot of um, experience. So when it came to my expenses, I said, well, you know, I, I know what I'm used to. <laughs> what I need to be able to do is to have a, a safe, comfortable place to live. I need to be able to travel when I need to. I need to be able to eat. And I need to be able to not be looking over my shoulder about different kind of things. And so it was a very specific amount of money. What really helped, too, and what has helped along the way is that any operating capital that I had at the beginning I real, I mean, I won't get too far into it, but just because I do talk about it in the book a little bit, and also just because some of it is just like, you know, really behind the scenes stuff. It was an exchange for my equity and it was like my asset, you know? So I felt like all of the decisions I've, I made along the way and up until today were just so thought out because I couldn't afford it not to be. I've totally. never had the luxury of being like, let me squander this. Because it's totally. going to come from somewhere else later. Never. It's always been this brick by brick. Okay, I have fifty thousand. I'm going to make those two investments. Great. Where does the next hundred thousand come from? And let me make sure that I can pay my rent. So let me let me totally. raise a little bit here. So it's always been really thought out and um, based on what I thought I needed. And then I also I do have an abundance mindset, and I feel like it's the same thing as the venture. You are the venture capitalist. I feel like I should step into what I want to become. So for instance, I invested in a podcast room for myself. I invested in like recently I invested in a, in a home office. Wait, did you All build the podcast room yourself? No, I didn't build I mean, it myself. I, mean, but, in, I, yeah. I don't mean yourself. I mean, do, <laughs> are you renting it outside your space or is it inside no, no, um, so, uh, backstage no, HQ? I'll, no, this is so we don't have a backstage HQ. We've had a lot of co-working spots, but we've always been remote, a remote team. So at my apartment that I share with my wife, I have an additional unit that's a small unit. And I have like a bedroom sized room that I fitted out with all kinds of acoustic paneling and all of like my microphones and everything. And I do all of my podcasting here. And then I and then in the in the front room, I do all of my meetings. I used to all of my meetings and all of uh, any kind of thing that generates revenue for for me. So I have a separate company called Arlen was here LLC. and It's a separate thing. So I invest in what I feel like I can make a return on when it comes to me. And the home office made its money back and like 10x its money by my book deal, you know, and so I was able cool. to write my book because so I had cool. this home office that I would go to and I knew. So I just I, I'm just very um, meticulous when it comes to 
what's the next thing going to be and how can we compound that, et cetera. So cool. And to check out Arlen's book, be sure to go to It's About Damn Time and for her podcast, Your First Million. Um, can you yeah. share everybody the concept of your show? Yeah, Your First Million. I started it in the summer, uh, early summer of 2019 for a couple of reasons. I started it, well, I love audio and uh, I love podcasts in general. And I had been uh, uh, featured on a podcast called uh, Startup by Gimlet and I'd been a, a whole season of that. And so just really love the medium. So I wanted to have a podcast, a couple, couple of podcasts going. I had gone from being someone who up until they were 35 made less than $20,000 a year and sometimes made maybe 5000 a year, like really low, low, low wages. Sometimes I didn't even have to like do my taxes because I didn't make enough to do them. Didn't have insurance until I was 36. So I went from that to having a real income, not just with the fund because the fund itself is like a loss leader, but in my speaking engagements, in my... Uh, there's a lot of in my book deal and my my media kind of uh, projects that I'm putting together. There is a different income that I have now. And I've become the, I, I say wealthy, but I'm not like rich or anything, but I have become the wealthiest person in my family and in, in my extended family. And so I wanted to talk to people from all backgrounds, from all over the world, from all industries who are successful and had reached their first million dollars and beyond or had reached a milestone of maybe 1 million listeners or 1 million views or this or that. Right. And I wanted to talk to them about the things that we don't usually hear about, which is not only how you did it, but kind of like when you asked me before, how did it feel when you got that first check? Totally. I really was that that's fascinating to me that moment because usually what we hear about successful people is before and after that moment, but not that moment itself. And a lot of people don't talk about money. Uh, but th it's funny because I didn't know if a lot of people would, but so many people do. Like, I'll ask them if they want to be on the show and I'll say it's about money. And they're like, oh, I've never done a podcast about money before. I don't know if I want to talk about it. And I'm like, well, let's give it a shot. And then you start getting these amazing threads that are pulled and stories that are told and 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 people say often that they they haven't ever shared this thing with anybody before but they're going to share it here on the show so on the podcast i've interviewed all sorts of people uh, some people that might be recognizable one of that i'm very proud of is uh, ellen pompeo who plays meredith gray on gray's anatomy who is the highest paid dramatic actress on television with her 20 million plus per year contract she made history and she just we just had the most candid interview and the most candid conversation and I love that type of thing and then I talked to founders just to say her path has not been easy and her story is absolutely fascinating so definitely yeah, be sure to check out great. that episode it's wonderful to talk about it because it's like what I figured would happen and what's been really great I love being a little bit right but having it even better than I ever could have imagined it is yeah. like I knew that there's going to be this common thread through people because we're all human and we're all getting through this life together but just to see how much someone who it may have a hundred million dollars someone who writes me who's at their job typing in who does data entry like I used to do and they're at their nine to five or their 10 p.m to 6 a.m gig and they're listening to it on their lunch break or, or to get by. And they say, you know, when Ellen said that or when Justin said that or 
when Don said that, it really, it really resonated with me because I felt that way too when I did this. It's that same thing. And then and vice versa, you hear all these stories from people who are powerful and rich and all that, and they mm-hmm. all have these vulnerable moments. Totally. That they were once what you are, or some of the most interesting ones are the ones who did grow up kind of privileged their whole lives. And they have a breakthrough. And those are really interesting, too. I think there's one that's really cool. If you're an investor or someone who who has not had it so bad and you kind of feel a little bit of survivor's remorse or whatever it's called, check out the episode I did with Amy Griffin. It was the second episode, I think. And she talks about, I mean, she's rich and she's, you know, we talk about, and like the, the interview was really interesting. And then like two thirds of the way through, we start, we have this breakthrough where she just realizes how much she, how valuable she is as a person beyond her money and beyond her status. It's so cool. And so, yeah, I, I just really love it. And that's, that's your first million. The book you can get at itsaboutdamntime.com. Um, and I'm just having a great time with those, with those projects. And a few weeks ago, I I don't know if you remember this or not, talking about value and about money and about valuing ourselves financially. I was in the shower. It was like three in the morning or something. And all of a sudden, I thought about your speaking career and an Instagram post that you had done earlier in the day, or maybe it was a tweet about something about your speaking career. And I was thinking, you know, she should never hear a no Companies should be like begging to pay her and never ask to discount her rate because her message is so powerful and so important. It needs to be fueled in order to advance, you know, our connective society. And I think looking at dollars past just being dollars or looking at the project you're working on as beyond just the project you're working on, as we were talking before, and being really connected to the why and really connected to the purpose and removing everything else around it. I think I think that's a really important reminder for all of us as we create and as we evolve into, you know, our futures to be paying special attention to like why we're showing up to what we're showing up for. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Let's get into backstage capital. Uh, you said you work remotely um, and the whole team works remotely. That's an interesting decision that you made. Why did you choose to make that decision? And how can we find out more about the opportunities at backstage? You have so many cool opportunities. I'd also not to throw you triple questions, but I'd love to hear more about your your team culture because you have a dynamic mm-hmm. culture there and you've celebrated your team on your podcast and um it's yeah. uh, it's truly wonderful. So if you could just talk about all things backstage, I'd love it. <laughs> sure. So backstage, uh, it's embedded now in my DNA and in my heart. It's interchangeable with my first name. You know, it's just who I identify with. It's my venture fund. Uh, you can go to backstagecapital.com to check out everything we have there. You can sign up to the mailing list on that website and that's where you're going to get the mixtape newsletter that has all kinds of opportunities all the time from the ecosystem from our portfolio from us we as a fund you know like i said earlier it really is an uphill battle for us to have to raise and to have resources so we don't have a ton of dry powder that we're that we're investing right this moment especially in this and during this current time but we have so much archived information and like just so much social equity built up that 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 there's every single time we put one of these mail, uh, newsletters out 
someone writes us back and says, you know, I signed up for this thing and I won the pitch competition that I got this 25K. And it's just really cool. So I would really check it out. Lots of that and lots of community, which is important to us. We also have virtual office hours with our team call it the crew everything at backstage we try to use terms that are like that remind me of working as a, a, a touring production coordinator back in the day so we have backstage crew the mixtape etc so i mean being a remote team was really a combination of hey we were bootstrapped we even had a podcast called the bootstrapped vc <laughs> which you can find episodes of still today and we're bootstrapped and that's not really normal in the venture capital world usually there's a ton of money and a lot of resources and you have all, all these big buildings and offices and trips and all of this so we did what we could and i always thought i want to start a company whatever it is when I start a company, I wanted to be a place where I would have wanted to work when I was in my 20s or 30s or today. You know, like I, I want to be the thing that I was looking for in many ways. That's why I started the like I wrote the book. That's why I started the fund, all of that. And I was thinking about we we're talking about expenses earlier. Right. I was thinking, do I try to make sure that everybody is in the same city? So I like my talent pool is smaller. Right. And also kind of just like the diversity is less. Do I try to make sure that that's the case and that we have this HQ to go to so everybody will know that we're here and be kind of cool and we'll get everybody's approval and be It'll real. Be all tech sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do I worry about that? Or do I just say, let me find the best people and see who we attract and in turn and make it really about being able to try to pay them a salary and get the job done so what that turned into is that little by little especially in the first two years different people would come to me usually by like twitter and they would just say you know i see what you're doing i'd love to be able to help they would start one by one by one they would start part-time or consultant and then over time we'd build up and i'd be able to afford them full-time i poached christy pitts from uh from verizon you know amicably uh, between the companies, but uh, it was very exciting to get her. And she became my my business partner, Br Brian Landers as well. And, and, and Anastasia, all these people kind of start off just little by little doing projects by projects. And then boom, it just became this full time thing. And, and, and Christy was living in Oakland. I lived in Los Angeles. Anastasia and Brian were two random different parts of LA, which if anybody who's listening has ever been to LA, you know that that's not it's like living in different cities if you live in, totally. in LA and the West and East side. And then we started getting attraction from like other parts of the country, New York, Detroit, St. Louis, Florida. And I said, I want to go towards the person and not the location. And I don't want to uproot them unless they want to be uprooted, unless they want to, that kind of adventure. I don't want to uproot them either. I want them to just be at their best. And so we just said, great, we have video conferencing, we have Slack. We have email, we have phones, let's make it happen. And that's what we did. And over the four and a half years, right, right now we're at six people. We have been as big as 45 because we've had a four city accelerator. We've had all kinds of consultants. And this way we had like 25 full time and 20 consultants. And we've done it all remotely and it hasn't always been as super smooth when you, when you think about like trying to have a um, 
a conference call at like totally. 6 a.m. And what do you morning. use for the conference call? Do you use Zoom? We use, or? We use yeah. Zoom mostly. Yeah, we use sometimes we'll use Google. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll experiment with other things, but mostly it's been Zoom. We've been very happy with it. Um, I, and I'm for very project management, which one? Which we use like we use? Notion. Notion. Notion yeah. is a big, big. I don't use it as much because I, I just have this sort of aversion to like super easy tech things. <laughs> I, I, I try to. I, I like my team. If is still to this day, if I were to call Christy Pitts right now and say. If you were just to call her and say, talk to me about Arlen's emails, she would just like throw the phone across the room because they have been trying to get me to stop using my Gmail for like years. And I'm like, just make it forward to me and then I'll respond. They're like, it's responding from your Gmail. We wanted to. Re-. I was like, ah, but, but the team uses Notion. They'll, they'll send it to me. I'll click on it every once in a while. We use Slack like all the time. And as we get smaller, like as the team gets smaller and kind of expands and go, it goes basically with the resources that we have. So right now we're lean. We're super, super, super lean. And it's just, you know, a bunch of text messages and just really getting stuff done. Today, we had a lot to ship. And from like 8 a.m. to about 1 p.m., all six of us were just chopping away and we made it work. And it's it was just a lot of fun. And shout out to Brian Launders. He's actually been really supportive of all the work I've done for the community for several years. And I really oh, appreciate great. his enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. Brian's means a lot amazing. to me. Yeah. Brian's an amazing human being. Very Community talented. builders need to be refueled all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Arlen, a couple last questions before we wrap up. And this has okay. been so exciting. What is your favorite tech tool? I really love community. It's yes. the text platform oh my, that I'm using. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, you just launched a community phone number. Tell us about it. It's the newest rage right now. Yeah, I mean, so you probably see a lot of people have been like text me and then you're like, why are they giving their phone number out? And it's just this really cool platform that they have a crazy waiting list and I'm grateful to be able to get on it. Uh, but I am able to text directly with people who follow me. So it's you, it's great. Like Twitter has its place and Instagram has its place. And then this is this new thing that's like just really one-on-one or you can write to people in a certain section. So like, for instance, I sent out a message to several people who are all in, in the New York area just to like tell them I was with them. And that you can do that right, you know, with one click and everything. And, and then it helps me. With my book launch team, we have a special team, uh, volunteer team who's helping me promote and they get a free T-shirt and they get free access to the book early. And I'm just able to like write to them all at the same time and then I can respond to them individually. And it's just really cool. I love it. And so, cool. and so if you want to text me, you can text me. This is how we'll do it. What, what's, what's the code word we should use? We can do like a hashtag code word and they'll know that it came from here. Let's just do like your name. Like, let's do that. And then so like hashtag Esprit and then text to 832-210-1276. That's E-S-P-R-E-E. And it'll just let me know that you heard it on this podcast. And that'd be pretty cool. And I'll say hi to you. Can you say the number one more time? And we'll include it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. The number is 832-210-1276. One, two, seven, six. And so they just do a pound or hashtag, same thing. And then just my name, E-S-P-R-E-E, just my first name. 
Yeah, and when you cool. do that, you'll get like a little thing that says, okay, cool, sign up. Like just say that it's cool if I text you and then you'll do that and then it'll be me talking to you. Awesome. I love it. And and a question that I like to ask um, everybody, and this is like the whole, I feel like your whole journey has been something that you've overcome. The question I like to ask is what's one thing you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? But I feel like your entire journey is like an overcoming story. Yeah, I mean, I'm, there's a lot of it. I one of the things I did talk about in the book that if you want to know more about, I briefly touched on it, is, is that stage fright. So I used to have debilitating stage fright until I was 36. And over the last three or so years, I've been able to really conquer it for the most part. Uh, hasn't gone away 100%, but I, I have really taken the bull by the horns. And now I, I get paid to speak. And it's a, it's a great part of my of my income when 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 we're in normal mode. Uh, and so I think there's so many people, I think half the population has stage fright. So I think it's, uh, it's a great thing to because I was one of those people, like I said out loud, like you could still find a tweet for me, Arlen was here on Twitter and Instagram, you could still search for Arlen was here. And me talking about like not like stage fright, like just the word stage fright, two words stage fright. And I'm like, there's a video of me like, I'm not going out there. <laughs> I'm not gonna, you're not gonna see me out on stage. It's just gonna be me and this computer, and you're gonna have to get used to it. And that was probably like four years ago. So I never real I never thought that I would be someone who is just out there on stages talking to thousands of people or hundreds of people at a time. But it really had to come from me wanting it to change and not everybody saying, oh, you're supposed to or, yeah, you'd be great at it. Because that was just pushing me back further and further in in the corner. It really had to be this sort of I heard it enough. I thought about it enough. I wanted it enough. And that's really when the change started. So you can read my the, the journey in the book and then you can decide for yourself when you want to start doing that for yourself if you ever do and that's I think is the is I could never coach you out of it I don't think I think it's just learning how I did it and then saying okay cool I'll, tr- I'll give that a try at some point I love it I love it and is there any company or talent that you've recently come across that has really impressed you. Before you even answer that, I'm going to selfishly shout out Melissa from Mommy because I love yeah. her. She's an amazing founder. Um, so if you could tell us both about a little bit about Mommy because I'm biased. Melissa is great. I'm on the board of Mommy. Uh, I led their Series A round last year along with Mark Cuban, Steve Case, and Serena Williams. And that was just a really awesome moment for everybody involved in that. Uh, Melissa kind of was a superwoman in making that uh, happen and, and, and overcoming adversity herself with that round. And I was just really proud of her. And then being in her on her board, I'm able to see how she leads behind the scenes. And she's just very impressive. So check out Mommy. It's M-A-H-M-E-E. It's for parents, mothers who are uh, pregnant and, and postpartum. And just taking taking them through uh, different processes, um, and and it's actually a B two B company, which is very exciting too, which is um, going to reach more and more people. So check it out. Look look up that that story. Uh, Melissa and Sunny and Linda are all co founders there, and they're really really amazing amazing team. And for everybody who'd want to tune into your office hours, they just go to backstagecapital.com and they could find the office hours there to book a mentorship yeah, spot. You can, if you want to do office hours, you can write to contact at backstagecapital.com in the subject heading, write office hours. 
and you will be sent a link to set up time to speak with someone on our team. Every once in a while, I'll pop up and do office hours as well because I love doing them. And uh, maybe I'll be there on the day that you do yours. Awesome. I love it. Arlen, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. You have been incredible. I am just elated to share your story. Remember to check out Arlen's podcast, Your First Million. Check out her book. It's about damn time. Check out Backstage Capital, backstagecapital.com. She is just a magnetic force in the world that we need. She helps us blossom and grow. And I don't say that lightly. I am just so grateful that she spent her time with our community today. Be sure to say hello at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This is Arlen Hamilton, founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, investing in underrepresented, underestimated founders. I'm based in Los Angeles, and you're listening to Women in Tech. I'd like to tell you about an all-new season of Command Line Heroes, a podcast presented by Red Hat. No one ever said hardware was easy. In Season 4, Command Line Heroes is telling seven special stories about people and teams who dared to change the rules of hardware and, in the process, changed how we all interact with technology. In the world of modern technology, we open our laptops, scroll endlessly on our smartphones, send tons of data to the cloud, and we don't think twice about it. But have you ever wondered how we got to now with our personal devices and what it took to get here? There was this blue box on a table, and he said, well, here it is. I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a microcomputer. What it took were teams of engineers and programmers who had the vision and audacity to build new machines. These machines, they revolutionized our lives and blew the doors open to what was possible. How many people here had a computer versus how many people intended to get one? Only one or two people actually had them, and they would bring them to the club meeting. What are you going to do with it? And nobody had an answer. The key thing about time sharing was that the computer needed some way of being able to sort of stop its own clock. The uh, creators of the floppy drives are not household names by any means. If it wasn't for that, PCs would have been adopted much more slowly. This January 28th, we launch season four of Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. And this season, it's all about the hardware. We'll hear the stories behind some iconic machines and the people who dared to create them. I was the kid that always took things apart, took my older sister's toys apart. This is just another bag on the side of the eclipse, a skin job. Nope, this is a whole new machine. The process of passing the tapes around and encouraging and building upon each other's results is really what made the personal computer industry. We're exploring mini computers, mainframes, the first personal computers, floppies, early smartphones, and game consoles. And we're also going to hear how the community ethos that drove those early hardware heroes to build those machines still exists today in the open source hardware movement. The values of sharing are still there. I mean, it's in the entire open source community. The machine, in a way, was kind of a bit character. It was the people who were the real guts of what it was about. I'm Saranya Barak. Join me for an incredible new season of the podcast. And keep on coding. So thank you, and uh, eat your sandwiches. Season four is airing now. 
Subscribe to Command Line Heroes today, wherever you get your podcasts. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.